0: The student radio. Hello, everyone. Um, welcome to the studio this afternoon. Um, today, rather, we are talking very devastating um, news from Turkey, the southern Turkey and the northern Syria, um, the earthquake that happened um, there. I have with me three gentlemen in the studio who will be talking about it. Of course, we have someone... Very important also in the studio It's my professor. I think it's everyone's professor. <laughs> Our professor that. Arnold is in the studio. Great to have you. Good afternoon, sir.
1: Good afternoon. It's a real pleasure to be here. And I feel nervous being interviewed by... <laughs> 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 Don't be. <laughs>
0: Don't be, sir. Um, of course, I'm going to allow you gentlemen introduce yourselves.
2: Hi, I'm uh, Cole, Cole Griffin. I'm a MSC, Economics and Finance student for Development.
3: Yep. I am... We need Joshua Dewey. I'm um, just a recent graduate, um, international development, and just finished my internship in Quakers Peace. So it's 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 an honour to be here.
0: Um, quite devastating. At least forty-seven thousand people have been recorded dead um, from this earthquake. I'm very sad because in my head, it's even worse because I see kids. I mean, yeah. who have lost their homes? According to them, a lot of these kids don't even have, don't, don't can't even identify their parents, and their parents are nowhere to be found. Um, it's quite devastating, and that's why we brought Professor Anna to come and talk to us today in the studio. So, Professor, let's start with this. Um, the first question: The UN announced today um, that um, we need clearance via the northern Syria border. Now, since 11 of these relief vehicles are stopped there prior to the earthquake. Um, this area had been destroyed by an ongoing 12-year conflict. Mm-hmm. What point do humanitarian considerations overcome security concerns since these people's lives depend on this and other relief items? Uh,
1: uh, first of all, thank you for um, inviting me. I represent not only myself but you know, the Department of Peace Studies and International Development which obviously um you know <coughs> all of us um were very saddened to hear this news um the other day when we had the vigil for Syria and Turkey um i, I, I was there to show solidarity for that purpose sure. in 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 the in the atrium um any such kind of natural you know we call it natural disaster um any such kind of uh, havoc if you like uh, is <coughs> it brings to the front already existing kind of inequalities in some ways and so there are people who you know who have been living in insecure accommodation if you like and insecure buildings etc and the earthquake of course, 7.5, 7.6 <coughs> magnitude, it's a very high, very powerful earthquake. Mm-hmm. And as we speak today, in fact, you know, there has been another earthquake last yeah. night, yeah. 6.4. Yeah. In Point normal six. ci- 6.4, normal circumstances, 6.4 would have been a major earthquake. Yeah. But sure. because we had just uh, a fortnight ago, one which is 7.6, now we are talking about oh, 6.4. Mm-hmm. But but these are, yeah, <coughs> and because it is on a geological fault, you know, in, in that particular region, U.S., Um, United States geological Survey services, they predict that, you know, this is because of that fault line, the earthquakes, mm, you know, are are likely to happen uh, there, etc. Now, any such disaster, you know, obviously our hearts go out to people who have lost everything uh, and so on. But in this particular case, I think this is even more complex because it, it has happened in a region which has been at the center of this kind of you know the conflict as you said for more than 12 years there has been the, the scale of this conflict we forget that this is considered to be the second biggest war in this century 21st century uh, only mm-hmm. after the you know the Congo war um, sure. <coughs> so and, and when you look at some of the numbers even before the earthquake so something like you know over 6 million people Syrians internally displaced mm-hmm. another 6 million mm-hmm. uh, you know <coughs> in seeking refuge in other countries, around 3.5-3.6 3, 5, 3. 5, 3, 6, 3. 6 million people in Turkey itself and, and surrounding regions. So we'll I know you have a question uh, uh, on this later, but I think this context is important to keep in mind. So you asked the question, you know, in terms of how how do humanitarian needs and security considerations, how do they kind of, you know, how can we resolve that? The <coughs> there is no easy answer. I'm, I I don't think so. Um, in the sense that the, the, the w- it was an active conflict. It's not like you know it has happened and it has ceased or something. Anything like that. It has been an active conflict, and it's a very multilateral, international kind of a conflict. There are a number of players involved. So uh, the first priority in this kind of situation, as UN Secretary General also has mentioned, and UNHCR also has mentioned, is to get humanitarian assistance to people who need it so that should take a priority That's a first. absolutely mm-hmm. that, should, that should take a priority mm-hmm. and <laughs> I think we can only put moral pressure on because some of the people who are engaged in this conflict they are not nations, they are not governments they mm. are armed groups so we can only put moral pressure on all of these people to say that okay this is time to pause and you know whatever is the cause for the war that has to be paused at the moment you know, humanitarian action has to take priority
0: I, f- I feel like I want us to talk about um, the the background of earthquake. Um, for a lot of people who don't know, I mean, the world is on a plate and this plate is evolving, and I think yeah. earthquake happens when they <coughs> clash, when yeah. there's a clash. Um, what's your understanding of? <laughs> 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 it's yeah. I feel like the question I'm going to ask everyone, like, what's your understanding oh, of?
1: Okay. <laughs> so, this is called the tectonic plate. So, yeah. these, these, you know, um, D- d- we, we see map in a different way but uh, we have to kind of you know when we look at it geologically there are these different tectonic plates and the geological activity mm. um, happens when you know these where these tectonic plates kind of press against each other True. so there is a kind of you know that's the fault line and then when there is a slip mm-hmm. so because you know it's not a smooth surface mm-hmm. so there is a slip and that causes <coughs> that you know shock so this happens several kilometers below the earth's surface mm-hmm. but the one which happened in turkey it's not very deep um you know this thing it's a it's a more shallow kind of a shock that's where it has originated um so when that happens that shock wave goes through the go through the earth mm-hmm. and it shakes everything it's it's like you know on this table you know, if i shake it vibration yeah so that's what is <laughs> happening Quite um, mm-hmm.
0: um so especially okay call one set, oh <laughs> what about What's 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 your idea of what what you when when you think of an earthquake what comes to mind for you? Oh, <laughs>
2: um, I think Dr. Nanda uh, kind of hit it on the head. I mean, my my very basic, very very amateur understanding of it is yeah, there's tectonic plates moving on under the Earth's surface, and they either collide and one slips above the other, uh, or they rub against each other, and yeah, it can cause a Massive shock up to the Earth's surface, and which is where we feel the tremors. But um, I really don't know any more than that. I'm afraid. <laughs> 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 it's not my uh, it's <laughs> no not my area. Okay. Yeah.
0: Um. I I would go to the next question. Um. Actually,
3: do you want to? Yeah, one? I, I wanted to just hard on the on the earthquake So, mm. I think one important thing about earthquakes is um, funny thing is most times places that have never experienced it get to experience. So you really cannot predict if um a country in Asia is going to it next or in mm. Africa or or in even Europe here, because basically Turkey is in Europe yeah, here. Yeah. So it happens, it could be just once ever, and it's going to like rewrite the history of that particular place. So yeah. earthquake is very devastating and no, historically according unpredictable. To, according, to
0: what I, according to what I read, I, I feel like a lot, not all countries are going to be exposed to it, um, or have tendencies to have it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, because I know that the UK is very has very low, um, low tendencies to yeah. So yeah. actually... Um, be exposed to that. Um, I feel like that's why a lot of people and and Cole and I were talking about this before the um, this show. That um, when you see Japanese, their mm. buildings, they ha- it's now it's not even about the earthquake. It's about why is it affecting these buildings? It's because mm. a, a lot of times these buildings are not made for it. For yep. a Japanese building, now they have things that actually would would um what's the word would, um, would withstand we stand or like standard. absorb it yeah resilient design. Yeah. Seriously we stand yeah. and why 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 is that a lot of people are not even um good but that's a question for another day. Um so <laughs> to go okay. doctor No no, no I,
1: I think it's a very important question. It's a question just yeah. okay, just a still. few seconds because please I think it's it's really important to um r- you know understand this. Um number one we cannot predict where mm-hmm. the next earthquake is going to happen or when it's going to happen, yeah. but we know the fault lines, so geological fault lines. So mm-hmm. those are kind of areas where the risk is higher, if you like yeah, yeah. So that is one. N- <coughs> number two, you mentioned about the buildings in Japan and etc. Yes, so um, I think uh, both. Cole and Joshua would would remember, we talked about uh, when we discussed issues related to corruption. Yes. There was a very important paper that was published in Nature in 2009 after the Japan and Haiti earthquakes. So both of them were, you know, 7.2, 7.3 magnitude, similar magnitude earthquakes, Mm -hmm. but the casualties in Haiti were almost 10 times greater than in Japan. And we find that actually, you know, in this particular paper in Nature, so two to researchers, they compared various earthquakes and fatalities, and they find that actually in countries where t- corruption is much higher, then earthquake tends to produce more fatalities. <laughs> so what is the explanation? The explanation is that, you know, whether <coughs> buildings are not regulated properly, yeah. everybody builds, you know, without any proper regulation, mm-hmm. and yeah. um, standards are uh, not maintained, quality of material may yeah. not be good. Cement sure. may be mm. you know, adulterated mm. and stuff like So it is in every step of that. So it p- p- kind of... In general, we can say that in c- countries or contexts where governance quality is poor, then the same earthquake can produce much more devastating impact on the people mm-hmm. in terms of casualties, in so terms of effects. <laughs> <you know. Yeah.
0: laughs> so um, we cannot We cannot shy away from the fact that um, some somehow... It's a government, somehow. The quality the of the governance. The quality yeah. of governance yes, is, is yeah. a real indicator. Factor, yeah. Um. For this, wow, really sad. Um. Uh, we've been chatting with Professor Anad. Of course, Professor Anad is uh, an environmental, economic, sustainable human development, right to water, institutional economics. Governor's
3: the feathers are tossed too many.
0: It's hey, <laughs> <is> a specialist <laughs> in environmental economics and public policy, with the focus of the interface of urban economy, environment, and sustainability. Dr. Anand has held various leadership positions, including the head of center for the International Development at Bradford. Um, currently, is the PI of the three-year British academy founded project on infrastructure governance for inclusion. Um, inclusive, smart, and sustainable cities. Wow, amazing! It's so <laughs> great to be so chatting with you. You have the previously right person. Yeah, very qualified. Mm. He previously, he had co-organized and led two international workshops at Cambridge and a major international conference in Bradford. So good to be chatting with you today, mm-hmm. sir. So back to my next question: um, <laughs> A doctor in um, Turkey um, had to the tap water, says that tap water is no longer suitable for drinking. I mean, so, Prof, what do you think they could use to salvage this type of situation?
1: Yeah, so in in any uh, calamity or situation like this, whether it is floods, whether it is earthquakes, major fire disasters, for example, any of these things, we find that infrastructure, especially civil infrastructure, is one of the first casualties. Mm. And so securing, you know, water supplies and food, hygiene products for example for both children and 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 women these become very very important because otherwise what happens is you have a situation where people are displaced from their houses and then they congregate and then the secondary infections those actually take much greater toll mm-hmm. than yeah, the earthquake itself uh, so these are all avoidable or preventable causes if you like so having good kind of uh, you know establishing safe water supply becomes an immediate priority Um in the past You know, a lot of, for example, when um, uh, you would have been children, so in (laughs) 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 2004, there was a major tsunami hit, um, you know, Bandache in in Indonesia and several thousands of people died. And, we know, so the initial kind of, you know, airlifting of all the emergency supplies were clothes, but also water bottles. A lot of hundreds and thousands of water bottles were mm. lifted. Poly- but now we also have you know, new technologies emerging. In fact, some of our colleagues within the university, um, in the engineering uh, faculty, they're you know they work on things like desalination, for example. So. Did you, you see that again? This water. Desalination. 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 Okay. So these technologies, you know, it's you can take any kind of water and then put it through and then what comes out of that is cleaner water. Oh. So yeah. those kind of, I know, mm-hmm. because we can't airlift just water bottles. You yeah. know. Of course, for immediate need, <coughs> that is needed. Mm-hmm. So you need to re-establish some of the secure water supplies mm-hmm. and, you know, because otherwise what happens is then the diarrhea, uh, cholera, those yeah. kinds yeah. of things. Yeah, in most right. of the yeah. previous uh, kind of, you know, disasters, what we have seen is that actually in the number of people killed by the earthquake or flood is smaller compared to the number of people who died because of the that secondary, yeah. secondary mm-hmm. infections, mm-hmm. waterborne diseases. So it has to be controlled. So establishing, you know, water, safe water, you know, t- toilets for these people to be able to use. So if you imagine, you know, um, 20,000 people living out of their house because they are afraid to return to the To the buildings, so we need to kind of think in terms of where are they going to use these services and how they can use them safely, and do they have soap and you know, and then hygiene products. Those are very very important, I think. You know, so all Mm. the emergency kind of aid organizations have very clearly prioritized this. Yeah,
2: Um, I was wondering if I could just take you back to the issue of building codes and regulations in uh, less developed countries, where they have substandard or even non-compliance with building codes or even maybe they don't exist at all. Um, so, I mean, I'm of the opinion that it's not necessarily the earthquake that kills people, it's the buildings collapsing. They're not designed to be resilient to mm-hmm. them. Um, what do you think is the, the best pathway for a country to develop its, its set of building codes and to ensure compliance with them as well?
1: Yeah. So, obviously, the pain of loss and human suffering is going to be important. So, mm-hmm. when these countries try to go try to rebuild housing they tend to build the best, most earthquake resistant kind of housing but I think that is also a little bit um, problematic because then what makes it is these buildings then become know compared to all other buildings these buildings will become much more attractive yes. Yes. Mm. Mm. attractive expensive mm-hmm. expensive to build and attractive so the more powerful people will get we benefit advantage yeah. of those mm-hmm. and rather than people who actually need
3: even to the build. masses to suffer also because the yes. masses will not be able to get um, mm. th- th- those kind oh of houses house. mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: so I- in in I uh, housing is complex so we cannot think of houses as products we buy off the shelf in a market or something. In most of the global south in in the countries, a lot of housing is done by people themselves Mm -hmm. and incrementally it's yes. not like it's a finished product yes. it's yes. a lifetime project so yes. for initially to begin with maybe there's only one room and then yes. they add something and then yes. they add a first floor so it's a kind of you know as economic you know um, uh, situation improves they keep building constantly mm-hmm. so in that sense you, know, m- I you I know Cole mentioned about you know building codes not being suitable it's not that they're not suitable there are building codes, etc um, you know every country but whether they can be enforced because a lot of this could also be mm-hmm. unorganized or informal sector actually yes so, municipal corporations or governments would not have the capacity to go and inspect everybody, every mm-hmm. house, and I think it will be impractical as well. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so we need to kind of think in terms of how we can educate more people in terms of simple steps that they could take to make houses, you yes. know, whatever they are building, to make them more resilient. Creating those kind of the people who survived, you know, six days, seven days, etc. Yeah. They are the ones who survived. We, luckily, they got stuck under the air pocket. Mm-hmm so the you know the the building did not collapse on collapse them; it on collapsed the all around box, them, yes. but they got stuck the, yes, in an air pocket yes. so that I think is is a very positive thing to think of. so how these buildings can kind of you know maybe mm. include those aspects if mm. you like you know
0: well do you think it's something that um a government should do to make sure that um they be in state like to make sure that these kind of things are done like you have to
1: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think
2: it's Go- the government. It's
0: possible. <laughs> <laughs> it
2: is.
1: G- government yeah. can do. Government can do something in the sense. Government, of course, needs to have regulation and needs to have mm-hmm. the ability to enforce those regulations. But as I said, you know, it's not easy to enforce those mm-hmm. regulations, and no. they can make it actually more housing unafforda- unaffordable for more more people. Yes. So it has. There has to be a kind of a you know a pragmatic you know mm-hmm. and a realistic approach government has to do those, but also we need much more in terms of grassroots based mm-hmm. you know education training opportunities for these people on how to build you know walls, how to build things and how we can make you know with simple kind of techniques, how we can make them you know uh, not earthquake a- proof <laughs> but
3: at least, <laughs> at least a little bit resistant and, and government yes. should be
0: able to make it cheaper <coughs> so that everyone can afford it. that's another good thing. Mm. yeah um
3: i just want to add with this and um, profit what you said so where, where, where you come from the we, we've not really had that this kind of experience but the closest we have is collapsing of buildings mm-hmm. and so in in a mm. place of there no it's even so worse that the buildings are not built to to stand on its own without mm. even the earthquake mm. so you have a building less than even still in construction there was a popular one in um, one of the high-rise areas in lagos state nigeria mm-hmm. and the building cost billions of dollars it's actually the high-rise the, the the top echelon of people who were already purchasing flats in billions of in millions of naira or mm-hmm. conversion that is thousands of pounds thousands of mm-hmm. and less before they even completed it the building collapsed, collapsed mm-hmm. with
0: a lot of the owners yes
3: yeah, still in. even i think one of the owners died yeah one mm-hmm. of the owners so died. so i i i i would say to a very large extent that the government is very responsible for to ensure or to enforce this because if everybody decides to make any building because you collect taxes you're the one who approved mm-hmm. the c of o's for these lands mm-hmm. so i think they should monitor is a sector they should monitor mm-hmm.
1: absolutely no i think in most countries the regulations definitely apply for anything which is more than one story building yeah, and yeah, the regulations yeah. become yes. stringent if it is a multi-story building if it is a commercial building in the sense that if it's a building where somebody is building houses for others as opposed to what i gave earlier is an yeah. example of where a family is building their own house mm. gradually yes. that's different but anything any such commercial transaction has to be regulated properly there mm-hmm. needs to be you know those kind of uh, prior permissions to be taken and inspection mechanisms Mm. and and things like that so Um. you know we know that's a different kind of tragedy but you know when Rana Plaza incident happened in Bangladesh Mm -hmm. where you know thousands of textile workers were stuck in this very very you know kind of a very hot um, fire and the building you know so from that in Bangladesh they introduced quite a large number of you know, kind of regulatory mechanisms that any such commercial complexes have to follow through. There yeah. is a lot of checking yes. of fire regulations and everything. So I think that's a similar kind of. Situation. I think
2: Nepal um, did something similar, didn't they, when there the was
0: The UN yeah. aid um, said that this is the worst they've had in a hundred years. Um, so I wanted to ask: Do you think that there should be like a way they would improve the machinery and um, to predict and reduce this type of impact?
1: Um. <coughs> So, uh, as I mentioned, you know, there there is nothing, mm, you know, we can. There is no technology or anything is there to predict earthquakes. We can't. But once it starts to happen, mm-hmm. we can. We can have. More important is, I think, you know, kind of creating that education universe. You mentioned about Japan. So, in Japan, not only that buildings are more resi- built, more resilient, etc., but right from nursery school and primary school. Mm in every you know like we have fire drill here in our university right yeah. at the beginning yeah, of semester one day all our health and safety colleagues will come and there is a fire alarm goes we all have to come we out and they're monitoring oh yeah, right so similarly you know we have to kind of educate people in living in earthquake earthquake prone zones <laughs> about okay if one there is a warning do something yeah <laughs> either Get under the, the table <laughs> or you know or yeah, you know go true. out you know orderly. So that kind of a training, you know, in Japan, I'm told that they're uh, trained in that from right from mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. childhood. Oh. So that, you know, so one is the infrastructure part, which you mentioned, but this I- other is the education them. and, and creating yeah. yeah. creating that awareness. I think that's also can can help to reduce. But there is there is no machinery or anything that can predict earthquakes. I mean, we can have various probes and things, you know, mm. but it's very, very expensive. and. Um, it's like trying to catch uh, you know in the sky where the next shooting star is going to come sometimes (laughs) you can predict sometimes you know because bigger asteroids we have Mm -hmm. telescopes so we can predict but most smaller ones we don't know that debris can fall so it's a similar
0: Um, according to our Jazeera it says 5 million people are homeless right now which is quite high very high. Um, how do you think we can um, we can deal with this migration of these homeless guys? What do you think is the best solution to be able to migrate these homeless guys?
1: Yeah, I think <laughs> as I said, you know, this is within the context of already about 13 million people who were displaced mm. by the <laughs> conflict yeah. and war, you know, in Syria alone. So in, in again, we are thinking in terms of a technological solution, if you like, you know, where we can build nice houses for them or where we can settle them. But maybe these are people who want to live in this region because it is mm-hmm. their ancestral yeah, kind well of communities, and this is where they belong and things like that. So any rehabilitation also has to be ground, you know, bottom up, if you like, mm-hmm. and it has to be. We should not relocate them somewhere else, which is you know, el- alien place for them. So we need to find ways to rehabilitate them as close to their villages as close to their towns as possible and bring them back into whatever economic activity they were doing and then rebuild that that economy um it's tough because you know it's not easy and it requires True. coordinated effort mm-hmm. so that's where i think you know um earthquake exposes these weaknesses in our society in terms of you know the governance is it weaknesses? Quali- as said so. yeah yes? in the sense the mm-hmm. governance quality lack of institutions mm. um, and things like that so then now when you are trying to rebuild it's not just the houses it's not the physical structures yeah. we have to rebuild we have to rebuild the communities we mm. have to rebuild the lack of that preparedness that too yeah um, so the, the capacity to, to govern mm-hmm. themselves that's what you have to rebuild you
0: well know. a lot of people will say that oh it's you thinking in the negative parts when you start thinking oh let's start preparing for an <laughs> earthquake that's <laughs> what they say <saying>. well
2: we <laughs> I think we <laughs> should all be prepared <laughs> exactly i think so if you're living on a
0: think?
2: if you're living on a fault line i think it's it's only responsible to be to be prepared, to be prepared, for, prepared it. for it i think mm. it's just, mm. just mm. being prudent yeah. mm.
1: the, also traditional housing in those regions mm-hmm. would always have been very kind of you know low-impact yes. kind of housing mm-hmm. but oh,
0: wow you know because <laughs>
1: they you if you think of think of that you know yes. you yes. mentioned yes. nepal you mentioned yes. you know, other things yes. so in all these earthquake r- regions the uh, traditional housing is kind of you know of mud structures for example if they collapse, also they don't cause too much damage yeah, yeah. and yes. easy to rebuild. Um, I'm not trying to romanticize those kind of houses. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> because you know those houses By don't old. serve the purpose yeah, uh, yeah. for weather. You know it's quite yeah, cold, it's cold, in, cold, in, cold Syria, in Syria, so mm-hmm. yeah, it has to be you know thermal. But we need to combine, learn from those principles. But we need to bring the best of the technology, mm-hmm. but combine with that kind of local knowledge so that we can produce solution which is ecologically appropriate mm-hmm. for that for that uh, for that region.
0: Would you prefer a solution of them taking, migrating them to
1: another country? I I don't think that's appropriate. That's what I, I was trying to say, you mm. know, in the sense that that is never a you know a solution because they want to live in their land, their communities, and their you know yes. uh, history and heritage is, is is all there. So relocating them somewhere else is you know uh, kind of era- erases mm. all of the, those opportunities. You know, uh, if they themselves choose to go somewhere else, that's yeah. a different. <laughs> But you know, us <laughs> trying to <laughs> yeah put them some somewhere somewhere else. You know, I think them. engineered solutions. You know. Um, cool. You had another question.
2: Oh, um, well, it was kind of a follow-on from the the uh, the building Code. codes and regulations. Yeah, it was. But uh, I don't want to maybe keep rehashing this point. But mm-hmm. I mean, one idea that I had, I don't know if you would agree with this. That so, I- in in the pursuit of developing better standards, better codes, better regulations, I, th- I thought, I- is there a risk of actually because so many workers in such countries work informally in these construction sectors sectors, is there a chance that these workers could potentially face new barriers to entry and are you creating additional problems by trying to solve um, I mean obviously it's a worthwhile goal trying to get safer building regulations but are these workers essentially do they face new barriers to entry
1: Um, Absolutely, absolutely I think that's a very very good point Um, So that's why I mentioned, you know, the idea of education. So the education not only about the ordinary people Mm -hmm. being educated, but also in terms of building the skills of the workers Mm -hmm. um, and and trying to ensure that, you know, they can have their livelihood at the same time. Mm -hmm. They have the opportunity to integrate this knowledge. Um, So upskilling, you know, we can call Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. So I think those are very important. Um, Otherwise, the the Mm -hmm. danger is that we replace you know missionary and modern kind of technology mm-hmm. and the you know the local artisans completely become you know, they lose the job and then they have to migrate to a city yes mm. and and uh, work in a hotel or you know mm-hmm. <laughs> and do something you know
0: mm-hmm. well,
1: uh, again is
2: this code
0: this um, code of conduct do you think is doable in the country? um I'm, I'm, I'm
2: looking at yes i mean with with time oh.
0: if i am employed mm-hmm. to ensure that it happens and I'm supposed to ensure that my own house does this, mm-hmm. and I know that I don't have enough money to do it. Mm. Would I not pass myself, give myself a pass, and that's going to happen to more than a thousand people that will be employed?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. S- no, ab- absolutely. No. So no. the the no. economic, you know, forces. So kind of you know drive people to do what they need to do they mm-hmm. have to feed their family they have to you know put food on the table as it were yes. so if they can't do that through you know these formal mechanisms they, you know they they cannot follow these regulations yes. if it's going to make the house too expensive they're not going to follow it so mm-hmm. that's why i think you know we kind of need to Having those regulations, but also having a realistic assessment of yes. you know how we can make it a gradation, so that mm-hmm. you know there was a lot of work actually done um, by a, a UN Habitat in Nairobi, um, mm-hmm. you know, who kind of work on urban settlements, etc. So they did a lot of work on how we can help communities to develop those skills to to be able to incrementally build their housing, mm-hmm. right? So. Mm-hmm. Initially, they did not think that we are going to add two more rooms or three more rooms. Suddenly, the family has grown and, you know, now the daughter comes back and now sure. the daughter has to live here, so they need to find another room. Another room. So they just add another room. So they never, they didn't think of this before when they were building the foundation. So so these kind of trainings try to tel- help them, okay, have a kind of a a plan how you are going to do and, you know, what is your best mm-hmm. case scenario, where do you want to get to, even though you are you can only afford one room today but what is your vision you? so it kind of encourages him to think in terms of okay if i need to in future build more no. what no. what no. am i going to do mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so those kind so the skills not only in terms of how to lay the bricks and how to do those mm-hmm. things but also in terms of these kind of planning skills and then the finances also so you know a lot of Housing is a very expensive activity, so we need to have appropriate housing finance mechanisms for Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Most of Mm -hmm. housing finance is informal. Mm -hmm. People have to borrow from friends and, you know, it happens all the time. Mm -hmm. Or they take loans, they sell, you know, cattle and all Mm kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah, mm, um, if they can get a mortgage, yeah. I think they are very <laughs> lucky. I mean, you know, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So there's only a small proportion of people who can get a mortgage in in Lagos or in other places. So a lot of people are outside the formal system. Yes. So mm. how we can develop, you know, in terms of the um, uh, financing mechanisms and tools for those kinds of people? Yeah, there's a lot of informal market which is also very expensive. You know that uh, the interest rates tend to be very very high. Mm-hmm. So how we, how we can in Gramin Bank as you may know in in Bangladesh and BRAC both of them they have done a lot of work in this area, building kind of local level credit you know kind of affordable uh, yeah, yeah outside credi- <laughs> credit kind of uh, you know societies yeah. and things like that. So yeah. what happens is there are suppose you have hundred traders all of them are working on cash. So everyone has, you know, doesn't need cash at the same time. Yes. So you create a kind of a, a you know rotating savings and mm. credit, you know, society, something like that. Informal so building so society. Yeah, yeah. So that then you know, every year ten people can build their home. So mm-hmm. if there are hundred people I, there isn't enough money for all 100 of them to build, to but be the remaining time. 90 people are saving yeah. and the 10 people are borrowing. So it's kind of taking formal banking principles and putting it into this kind of a small scale grassroots. We did a lot of work in, in Tajikistan with the Aga Khan Development Network and Aga Khan Foundation. And they found, you know, similarly in the, in the uh, Pamir Mountains and, you know, in this kind of both in Afghanistan and, and in Tajikistan they built from grassroots this kind of uh, ability of individuals to save and uh, become part of this kind of a uh, saving and credit society over a period of time that has grown mm. into a sizable you know mm. like a bank itself
3: you know prove that, that 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 kind of um, structural policy requires a lot of trust because Somebody we wouldn't want Absolutely. to drop out is all savings. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, a student. Yeah, the old money I've saved for the past yeah, okay. probably two thousand pounds, and I give it to somebody. And when I need the money back, someone tells <laughs> me. <laughs> 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 no, you wait ten years. No, that's no, why no, it yeah. tends to happen in no, it's kind it's of smaller communities, is, doesn't it? Yeah, mm. so
0: I don't know if everyone will agree with me, but I feel like the Ministry of infrastructure or municipal building are really not doing a good job because um Mm. i feel like these are the type of things that they should be able um schemes that they should be able to um introduce yeah Mm. because if i know that um if i okay if i am access if i have access to funds to be able to build a good uh, like do a good infrastructure that will be able to withstand that type of earthquake i would want to look into it because at the end of the day it's really tragic, anyway. Uh, we've been talking about the southern Turkey and the northern Syria, the 7.8 magnitude, so the series of earthquakes that has been going on um, in that country. Our heart really goes out to them. It's really devastating. A lot of homes, a lot of children have lost their homes. A lot of families have been torn apart um, from this very, very sad um, emergence and quite sad. I've been chatting with Adioye and Cole and of course Professor Anna. I, I have
3: a question before before okay. round. I, I just have um, a follow-up on what what do you think is post the best for it? When do you think the the those communities can be rebuilt? Um, I'm talking about the landscape. Where can the, the developers come back to the land, reassess it and probably make it more suitable to build their homes back on it so these individuals can get back to their uh, their own mm. communities uh,
1: no I think f- first of all you know we should be careful not to criticize any particular ministry or department we're generally talking about you know governance capacity mm-hmm. and, you know in terms of that because you know they are D- you know, they will say, oh, you are sitting in England in the comfort of uh, <laughs> the, you know, University of Bradford and exactly. the throw, throwing <laughs> accusations. <laughs> so we should be careful in a sense. We understand, you know, these are, these are all complex challenges and um, and our whatever we are trying to say is in terms of over long term, I think, you know, this kind of governance. And quality of institutions has have to improve. That is the only way in which societies have tried to overcome these mm-hmm. kind of challenges. So mm-hmm. I think that's that you know evidence is very clear from various kind of s- historical studies. The on this particular issue, you know, in terms of um, it, so in any kind of disaster, so immediate disaster, f- immediate uh, kind of steps is is providing human security immediately yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so securing um, you know again rescuing efforts and rehabilitating people for immediate kind of health and various needs etc and as soon as that is over so once you you know that phase is over i think you know you're you're into this kind of a planning of rehabilitation phase so that's where i think you know discussions dialogues need to take place Mm -hmm. and and there is a lot of Rubble has to be cleared. All those buildings mm. have to be cleared, mm-hmm. etc. So that is expensive. It's not easy. It involves a lot of work and you know labor. Who is going to pay for that, etc. Mm-hmm. So these are
3: some of the fundamental
1: questions. If there's no money available, people then do it by themselves. That's what I
0: was going to ask. Are countries donating? Yes. Yeah. Oh,
3: yeah, yeah. I think mm. the Qatari has like been the biggest donator to mm. the. Um,
1: many many countries are are kind of you know kind of of course. In, in the first priority is to rescue people so a lot of mm-hmm. countries immediately sent their uh, teams of rescuers yeah. etc so that phase is over so then in the second phase you know when you're trying to get into kind of the reconstruction rehabilitation phase so now I think you know this is where um, again long term uh, d- development assistance is also needed so development banks and others also will be looking into mm-hmm. you know in terms of how they can land, you know because some of the infrastructure damaged, it cannot be built by individuals sure. so there needs to be some kind of, you know, World Bank and other kind of agencies will kind of start to come in. Um, this is where it gets complicated. It comes back to the situation about the war, you know, because because mm-hmm. the conflict situation has not, you know, completely ceased. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to what extent the temporary truce um, that has been provided for humanitarian assistance mm-hmm. can be extended further for, you know, kind of a cooperation yes. to, to, to establish... Um, in, uh, at least some of the groundwork that can be done. Mm-hmm. So this is a kind of a three phases. One is immediate. One is kind of oh intermediate in the next 12 to 18 months, what needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was then going to ask you that and question. Then, <laughs> you <know> <laughs> <laughs> uh, when next do you ten think years.
0: exactly, How, when do you think we're going to have Adana back? That's um, Turkey. When do you think it's going to, wh- what do you think w- uh, is there a time frame? It will take 10, years. Take ten, ten years. years. I would
1: think so, yeah. 10 years if you're lucky, yeah. Mm.
0: That's so much Mm donation. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much, Professor, uh, for chatting with us. It's been a very (laughs) educating session with you, as always. (laughs) I've been chatting with, or we've been chatting with Dr. Anand. um, (laughs) Of course, he's a specialist in environmental economics and public policy, with a focus of the interface of urban economy. Um, environment and sustainability. Dr. Anna has held various leadership positions. Part of it is that he co organized and led uh, two international workshops at Cambridge and a major international conference at Bradford. Of course, he is our professor. Also. Yeah. <laughs> He's my I, 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 I should <laughs> add um,
3: so, the research I did, um, the team I worked with. Um, born in Bradford is also a very good team with Amazing. born in Bradford yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: so I, yeah and I, it's a real pleasure for me and also I think you know our department um, Peace Studies and International Development we work on quite a range of things so ob- obviously the original founding was about peace in terms of you know conflicts but we have significant specialization in that we also have significant specialization in promoting human security mm-hmm. you know reducing gender-based violence but also in terms of economic you know development economic growth finance um so it, it's a very multidisciplinary department and that's what brings us you know kind of together to think of these complex issues mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. try to try to explore how we can we can address
0: them so and professor do you have any project or any research you're working on now
1: lots of <laughs> 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 how <laughs> much time got? absolutely so there are a few Obvious things we are trying that. to do so um, uh, uh, ob- obviously you know b- both local and global so lo- local you know as our vice chancellor says this is university for Bradford so for us trying to understand Bradford and surrounding region and you know how we can contribute to improving you know in terms of especially Environmental performance of companies and how we can get to, you know, help them to get to net zero, etc. What are the challenges? So that's something we are trying to do at the moment. And and globally, of course, you know, um, there are two things I will mention. So a lot of my work is focused on an approach called the capability approach, which is promoted by Amartya Sen, Nobel Prize winner. So within the capability approach, it provides you a multidimensional framework to understand what is a good life. And what is the aim of you know so when we think of this person who is affected by the earthquake Mm -hmm. we should not think in terms of oh this person needs a house I'm going to build a house and give it to Mm -hmm. this person but the idea is to ask what is a good life for this person Mm -hmm. what what does it mean for them so for them it might mean okay having the freedom to enjoy the the, you know the um, kind of a clean air in their city or visit a you know monument or be in the farm and uh, just listening to the the crops, you know, swaying in the in the wind, mm-hmm. um, or, or or things like that, you know. Mm-hmm. So those, I think, you know, how we can then empower them to achieve whatever is their good life. So that's what capability approach tells us. It should not be top down. It mm-hmm. has to be, you know, each individual has the agency. We have to create that, you know, enabling uh, framework and give them that agency or support their agency to realize their dreams and so for me I think you know it's 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 really important and in a way in our work in the university that's what we are trying to do so that's one issue I mentioned the other one is of course unsustainable cities so it's everybody says sustainable cities but if you really think about it the challenge is huge yeah. and complex it's just not you know easy so it's, it's very easy to pay lip service to it mm-hmm. it's not about recycling a little bit here and uh, you know doing a little bit there so that will be greenwashing that's mm-hmm. really not, you know, sustainable. So we are a long, long way away from from really becoming, you know, sustainable cities. And in the next f- 20, 30 years, most of the, p- you know, kind of uh, new growth of cities is going to happen in Africa, for mm-hmm. example, next 30 years. So yeah. in that case, are we prepared? Are we uh, are we there? You know, do we have the capacity to absorb all that urban growth? Mm-hmm. So we are kind of trying to look at, you know, how we can prepare better urban governance and make cities, you know, to be more Resilient mm-hmm. to be able to you know mm-hmm. take the opportunities. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, um,
0: you So, for chatting with us. We, I'm sure that everyone has something to go back home with. Yeah. I've been more enlightened and so I'm so excited I had this chat with you. Mm. Our heart goes out to everyone out there who needs shelter, support. We are here praying for you. trust me. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for joining us on today's show yeah. until we come your way again. My name is Cynthia
1: Cole. And Day Oye. And (laughs) I'm Anand. Anand.
0: And we say have a beautiful rest of the day.